finish your shit. I always say that. Like, it's so simple and so basic and obvious. But at the same time, like, I know so many writers who are like, I'm a writer, but then they like, you know, me with the blackbirds, like you get a certain way through, but then you don't finish it. And obviously the end of a story is, is what completes a story. So not only do you have to learn that part, but if you don't practice finishing, you don't get that cool dopamine hit of finishing a story. That thing gives you like more of the, the meth juice to be like, I got to write more stories. I got to finish my shit. What is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of SFF Addicts. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and welcome to your weekly dive into the world of science fiction, fantasy, and writing craft. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, the Chewy to my Han Solo, the Joker to my Commander Shepard, MJ Kuhn. How's it going, MJ? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you, Adrian? <laughs> doing fantastic, yeah. Just like living off that baby life and, and having fun. But uh, a quick note for listeners and viewers, the official SFF Addicts Patreon and merch store are live, so you can check the links in the description to support what we do here. You can get access to patron-exclusive bonus episodes and cool stuff like the merch that MJ's wearing for anyone <laughs> who's watching. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the FanFightic YouTube channel, where this and every other episode of the show is available in full video. And now, welcoming today's esteemed guest, Chuck Wendig. How are you, Chuck? Uh, I'm good. How are you? doing fantastic thanks for having me oh it's a pleasure yeah very excited to chat with you but uh to get started anyone who doesn't know you could you let listeners and viewers know a little bit more about yourself yeah uh i am uh adrian's hallucination he has had a new baby and (laughs) i'm sleeping and i'm not even here i I took too many mushrooms and things are going god there are no books that i've written um (laughs) not wanderers and wayward or book of accidents or middle grade dustin grimm i am not i'm nothing i'm just a figment your uh, your sleepless imagination. MJ is too. Then <laughs> yeah, right. Adrian, MJ's like she's just we playing didn't along. Tell you. Yeah. Like a Tyler Durden thing. She just kind of oh wants to God. go with it. <laughs> this there is like thir- thirteen monkeys meets Fight Club. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for for taking the time and. Uh, yeah, Chuck, uh, a lot of your books are straddling the line between between genres. It's like you write in horror, you write in science fiction and, and uh, post-apocalypse. You've written Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but just, uh, you know, to kick things off, what was it that originally got you into reading and specifically into the realm of science fiction, fantasy, horror, or any genres that really stuck out to you when you were growing up? Yeah, well, um, you know, when I was growing up, you know, it was like my my son only recently kind of started to get into books and um you know he's 11 now and it was this past summer like prior summers there was always like a summer reading like you have to read three books or whatever and it would always be it wasn't really like pulling teeth he wasn't really upset about it but you'd be like you have to you know read tonight and he's like i'll be 30 pages and he would read like his 30 pages and be like done it could be right and it could be like five pages from the end yeah. and he'd be like i'm done i'm like that's fine that hurts my heart <laughs> like that's crazy doing this but then this last summer like something clicked and he was like uh 22 books all and mostly horror books so that was pretty wild to me so and i was awesome. kind of the same way when i was a kid like i really was only into reading like comic strips you know, like uh 
Calvin and Hobbes, Far Side. That's pretty much what I digested. That was the the food I I lived on intellectually yeah. uh, until one summer I discovered um, Lloyd Alexander's Pridane Chronicles. Mm. And so, uh, those are my first like beach reads. Like everyone else was like, time to go swim and have fun on the beach. And I'm like, shut up. I'm reading my book. I'm going to go pale under the umbrella. Um, so it I'm was that 30 then, pages and then I'll go to the beach. Yeah, exactly. 30 pages. And then I'm... <laughs> uh, so I, I would like devour those. And then uh, hitchhiker's guide was next. And so it was like Ray Bradbury. It was kind of some of the classic stuff. And then it was, only a few years later that my sister introduced me to um, horror, not via Stephen King initially, but um, Robert McCammon was my first some horror love. Okay. Now, do you remember, like, at what point in your book discovery reading process you first thought, like, fuck yeah, like, I want to be a writer. Like, that's, I want to oh, write my own book. Do you remember? Yeah, I kind of do, actually, because... <laughs> Again, like with the cartoon thing, like I wanted to be a cartoonist. And then there sort of came a point when I was like, well, I'm going to have to actually learn art. And that seems <laughs> like, like effort, like work. But like I felt like writing was something which I also knew would take work and effort. But like I was clicking with that. Mm. And then it was in eighth grade where I don't know what like what I realized about it. But I was just like, oh, you can this is a job like people. <laughs> you go buy the book and someone yeah. gets paid for it in the book. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Because like up until then, you know, like all your kid jobs are weird fantasies. Like, I'm going to be a firefighter on the moon, baby. And you're just like, it doesn't matter. You don't have any sense of like money or why you need it. Um, but yeah, that was when the first time I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And then I did it. And it feels weird to be like, yeah, the thing I decided I want to do in eighth grade, I'm somehow doing. It feels, again, like I'm possibly just your hallucination because it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. You just found life's like, you know, you're like one of the few people with life's cheat code that <laughs> I did. Yeah. It, I did. Right. Yeah. Cause like whenever I see people like from high school or something, like, so you actually did the thing you said you were going to do? It was like, <laughs> right. yeah. I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, we, we didn't. I'm like, yeah. So, so, <laughs> and so I have sorry. been hallucinating for decades. <laughs> yeah. Adrian hallucinated <laughs> me and here I am. <laughs> this whole podcast is a figment of my imagination. Exactly. Um, it's taking a turn. <laughs> I love that though. Cause it's like, um, I've had conversations with my dad and he wanted to be a cartoonist too. And he still loves to draw, but yeah, it's like this crazy thing where, you know, your young brain doesn't really know how to, how to define like a job in terms yeah. of it's, it's actual, you know, like craft versus yeah. the learning process and, and the outcomes and everything like that. It's all just, well, it's weird because like, you don't want to think too hard about like when you're a kid like the last thing you want to even like the last thing we're trying to encourage in our kid is like, what are you going to do for a living what's your job like i know you're 11 but how are you going to monetize you're like, this talent yeah, exactly how are you going to monetize <laughs> your skill set child like you're trying like i want him to enjoy the things he's doing and then you know the things he's doing you know when he enjoys them to try to be like well encourage growth in those things because eventually mm -hmm. maybe he'll find some value in doing them in life yeah. Otherwise, it does feel a little bit like get to work in the, the mines. <laughs> That's how it was for me in high school, too. It's like my art teacher was like, You're really good at this. And he just kind of gave me like leeway where I was in one of the few self directed schools in Canada. And my art teacher was like, Your entire year, like grade 12 year of art, you can plan yourself. Yeah. Um, oh, that's and great. I was like, That's awesome. Well, shit. Yeah. You're going to have fun <laughs> grading me. Right. But at the, at the same time, it's like he was he was just doing like slow little nudges along the way about like, what do you think about your career and, and what you want to do afterwards? And it's like, I ended up going to English literature at university and then left Canada to 
Germany and then started tattooing. So it's like I kind of came full circle. But I love that like weird journey. journey. (laughs) Yeah, the journey is cool. The journey is the coolest part. Yeah. So it's like I emailed my my art school teacher from high school and was just like, hey, so I became a tattoo artist. And he was really stoked on that. (laughs) I love that though. I love that. Yeah. And uh, Chuck, so you you mentioned before we started recording, it's like you have a son. We're talking about kids and stuff because, yeah. you know, I'm hallucinating life. And um, <laughs> I'm curious, like now that you have um, your career has taken off and, and, and you've got your child and you're kind of balancing this family and work lifestyle, what's your writing process like these days? And how, how do you kind of manage your, your days in terms of whatever project you're working on? Um, it's weird because... Up until, you know, like I started out in the, the freelance trenches doing um, pen and paper, you know, role playing games. Like for oh, 10 years, cool. I did you know, for a White Wolf Game Studios and um, Gamma World. Like I did all kinds of random game writing, uh, pen and paper. And that, that's how I made a living doing freelance. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I kind of developed pretty keen habits during that time of like you wake up and you write every day and you do your 2000 words and whatever. So, uh, but then, like, and, you know, and I, I learned, too, that outlining was a really vital part of my process when it came time to do creative stuff. Like, I, mm-hmm. um, the, my first uh, published book, Blackbirds, like, it was, I would try, I mean, it took me five years to write that book. Because for four of those years, I would get about 75% of the way through the book, and it would just unspool. <laughs> it was like, I, I felt like I, like you wander into a room and you don't know why you're in the room. Like that's what I was. Like it's a black like, hole collapsing. Yeah. No idea what I'm doing here. Like it's just a, a rupture and collapse. So, uh, I, you know, I, I joke that I did what any, uh, aspiring novelist would do at that point, which is I won a screenwriting competition. Um, and that screenwriting competition, the prize was like a year's mentorship, which is weird. Cause it's like homework. Like I would mm-hmm. be like a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but honestly that's what i wanted because the mentorship was with a guy uh steven susco who did the um the grudge films uh, the american grudge films and uh mm-hmm. he's done a bunch of adaptations that was sort of his his expertise was adapting pre-existing material to the screen and right. in doing that i was like you know like a frank talk with him like listen i have no interest in screenwriting i just want you to help me <laughs> figure out my book because i'm going to use like a screenplay as like an outline and like, I'm gonna, I just want you to, I'm going to write it as a screenplay and then I'm going to write the book. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you actually have to do like a real outline first. And I was like, oh, I don't, yeah, we don't do that. Like in novel <laughs> world, we don't, like I know in Hollywood land, like you have to write things <laughs> down on a list. Yeah. But like I, I talk to horses and I, you know, I speak to seagulls and that's how I get my inspiration. <laughs> uh, I'm doing this all wrong, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, this is Excel, you fucking amateur. <laughs> doing it all wrong <laughs> all wrong so, but his answer was of course like, well how's that working out for you i was like oh yeah i see what you did there it's not working out great so uh sure enough i i learned how to outline from him and so uh that also became kind of a vital part of my process and and i say all this you know first of all like the core lesson there is because i tell that story a lot when i'm talking about writing because i you know doing having having done writing books and a writing blog like i get questions um and sometimes the uh, people take the lesson from there that uh, you have to outline your books. Uh, and the lesson really is when your process isn't working, you have to change your process, yep. uh, which fast forward lead me to Wanderers, which is the book that told me uh, I don't know how to write books. <laughs> it reminded me very clearly I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, and it defied how uh, my process worked at every turn. Um, I did not write every day. I didn't outline a word of it, um, which is weird because it's a huge plotty book. Yeah. Um, 
it, it, sometimes I would have a 300 word day. Sometimes I would have a 5,000 word day. It was just like, cra- it was a crazy book to write. Um, and like I ran up on my deadline. And I never missed deadlines and I totally whiffed that deadline. So it was just a very different book for me. Um, and from that point, I was like, you know, I'm, maybe I need to treat every book like it's its own special Pokemon that needs needs taming and catching in its own special <laughs> way. Uh, and if, if I learn that lesson. So it's I, I don't know how to write books, um, especially the one in front of me. I, I love, love that, that you used Pokemon as a reference. I know. Right yeah, I was going to say, let's, Can let's you not tell I have an 11 year old. Yeah, I was going to say, Pokemon. We, <laughs> we've been having a lot of these conversations about how people deal with this transition from one book to another and how it's like yes. every book is its own beast. Yes. But I love the Pokemon reference. It's like, yeah, yo, you got to gotta go to a different gym and train that, train right. that yeah. bad boy. Need a master yeah. ball for this Balls. Pokemon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that though, because I I uh I'm gonna have a small fangirl moment here. I'm I'm an avid reader of your blog, and I have been for years and well, years. Uh, wow. I've told Adrian that I I genuinely would not be sitting where I am as a published author if it wasn't for your blog. Because <laughs> the first time I was in the query trenches, I literally made a background on my phone that said "Harden the fuck up, Care Bear," <laughs> <laughs> so uh. I could remember every day. <laughs> That is just part of the process. Um, but, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I it is. It's a process every time you're writing a new book to figure out w- w- what this particular beast is. Um, and with you writing in different genres, how does it help? Does it help, I guess, your creative mind? Or does it help you switch gears like that to genre hop? Or have you noticed that that makes it more difficult even? Or um, uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't even know. Uh, it, I, I don't. I have no idea how how genre factors into it. Like I view genre, um, it, like it's like we're all different. Like they're different animals, right? I mean, they're. Mm-hmm. Can I always say like if you look at a bat or a dolphin or a person? They're very different creatures, <laughs> obviously. Um, but when you look at the skeleton, like there are very clear analogs between the bones. Um, and so that's to me sort of how genre works. Like there's definitely different shape and they look different on the outside, but like at the, yeah. you sort of start ripping the skin off and please don't rip the skin off anything, but, um, you're going to find that there are some similar skeletons and similar bone structures going on in there because storytelling has a lot of core key things. You can still kind of ride the same rhythms and you can still play with story the same way, regardless of what the genre is going to be And genre interacts with each other in different ways. Like science fiction and fantasy are these two sort of giant trunks of that tree but then horror is like not yeah. even a trunk it's like a the color of the <laughs> leaves like it's a very strange i don't know what that metaphor even means but I it's love not that metaphor it's perfect <laughs> yeah right one is sort of almost like setting focus science fiction yeah. when it is where it is the components versus science versus magic but horror can be in either of them mystery can be in either of them and obviously exactly. fantasy can still be in science fiction and vice versa so right. um there's just a thriller pacing and there's just different ways to make the genres interact with each other and mm-hmm. um, make them all kiss you know kiss now <laughs> make a baby in that side of your suitcase <laughs> exactly exactly so you know um I, I i think once you sort of get into that and you realize there's these common components that part gets a little easier um but it makes it no less deranged to try <laughs> for sure and is there is there a genre that you've realized like i really love to just kind of sink myself into this and and even if you're you know making them kiss and stuff like that and making them play around and, and have fun. Um, is it more dependent on like the project or your mood or is it like an idea comes into your head and you think that fits much better into the more atmospheric realm of like horror or this? Yeah. Horror is usually where I skew just cause it's what I really liked growing up. And 
Um, I mean, I think horror belongs in most genres. I mean, obviously, romantic comedy, you're not going to find a lot of horror, but you will find, <laughs> to some degree, anxiety and fear, like in, a, in its own way, fear of losing somebody, fear that they're not going to like you back. Um, well, that's not expressed as as horror and like you know things chest bursting, but um, there there's there's a core sort of a visceral emotional component to those things, and I think mm-hmm. um, I also think horror and humor have a, a, a shared there's a sort of a you know DNA shared between those two things, um, both in how uh, the setup of a joke and the setup of a scary moment sort mm-hmm. of are very similar. Um, so I tend to skew that way, even you know, because for so many years, right, horror was an anathema genre you just were not allowed to say it like you know i i, I think i talked about this on the panel i did with um sadie, with sadie yeah and so forth um that you know like for so long you couldn't call anything that blackbirds was published uh by one publisher and called urban fantasy then picked oh up God. by another publisher and they were like oh we we think you're like the next joe hill so uh we're going to call it supernatural suspense. I'm like, do you mean horror? Because Joe Hill, I don't know if you know. It's horror off. That is. And they're like, no, no, it's supernatural suspense. <laughs> so, and then suddenly, Wink, like. Fuck you. Yeah, really? Uh, and then, But now horror is cool again. Like horror, you're allowed to be horror again. So when I was finally mm-hmm. allowed to be like, I can call it horror. I can say that. Can it be in a, on a shelf? <laughs> yes. Let's do it. That's what I want from now on. It's horror. All the horror. <laughs> everything <laughs> everything hard i'm just i'm just like trying to think in my head like when when the publishers just realize like yeah uh, well obviously they're never going to admit their mistakes um <laughs> for one thing but maybe like hey maybe we can you know work together with uh booksellers and and just redefine the stupid bullshit that we've been doing with shell space and yeah, figure out that like horror is horror horror is yeah. a thing and yeah. people love it yeah exactly yeah especially Good when audience. the world gets weird people are like you know what horror is cool it's right we're about weird into this yeah and that's why that's why people go to comedy and horror they're like yes i need i need a laugh to relieve yeah. my my anxieties and then right? i need some horror well, that's, to what, I say, that's what i do i need to give myself anxiety by reading horror and then right. i need to lessen it it's yeah. you know we're we're yeah. keeping things yeah. even it's, here yeah. <laughs> Caffeine and alcohol. It's just like up yeah. and down. Medicate with different genres. That's exactly what we're doing. I love it. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's get let's dive in a little bit to specifically your newest release, Wayward, um, and which is the sequel to Wanderers, um, which I just finished Wayward last week, and oh my god, I read the last like three hundred pages in one setting. It's so good. I'm. Oh, I did. I cried. <laughs> I cried so many tears, oh, yeah. but I I don't cry at books that often. It's really good. Um, Sweet. I know. We, and, we love I'm just like, people I'm cry. Just like yeah. you inspired me to be a writer, and then you make me cry. <laughs> and then you make me cry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Betrayal. No. Um, but you know, you you said that Wayward kind of, or I'm sorry, Wanderers rather, like broke all your processes, and it did. Yeah. It refused. It was the book that refused to be tamed. Um, I'm so glad you fought through it, by the way, because it's like one of the best books I've read. Um, but it was, you know, it's Shichonki. That's a that's a big yeah. old book. And both, <laughs> they're both big, right? How did it feel after you finished Wanderers? Did you, when you realized that you had another chonker that needed to come out from that story? Or at what point did you realize there was more to the story oh, you wanted to tell? Oh, with Wayward, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, 
I, I went on tour for Wayward. And so I would be like, tell people like, you know, the thing I was really excited about Wanders is because like, I had written so many series and they were so it's hard to write series and you don't really know mm-hmm. how they're going to do by the time you're writing the third book, you've already known that the second book didn't do that well. So I was really excited to write a standalone. And now here I am <laughs> to talk about the sequel. <laughs> I screwed that up. Really, really <laughs> um, yeah. I was just, the thing about, you know, having more stories in that world was, um, I just wanted to make sure that I had an idea and that obviously there was a readership there. Like you don't always know that there's going to be. And so I don't, you know, I know publishers are not super excited about investing, um, in things that are not working out, but they do it anyway, for some reason, there was like three book deal before we even know what it is. Uh, so I didn't want to do that. I was like, so let's wait and see it. Instead of it being a series, let's just kind of take them one at a time. So, yeah. um, it did sell well. And actually I had the idea for the sequel. Um, on book tour for Wanderers, it kind of it came to me literally on a flight, and I was like, "Oh, I think I understand what happens now." Um, and so I, you know, hastily wrote it all down over the course of the the, the five hour flight or so out to mm-hmm. the West Coast, and it, it um, pretty much matched the vision of uh, you know the novel that it became. So, um, but the problem was I, ha- I had to write it in the middle of a pandemic at the and I when my you know. When like they were like, yeah, write a sequel. Like there was no pandemic except the one in Wanderers. Yeah. So <laughs> suddenly there was an actual pandemic, and I was like, I now I have to sort of emotionally figure out how to write this book, not just yeah. like, a lot of it. Like why? And it was hard. It was really actually, I mean, it was hard to write anything, but um, to specifically tackle a book that was grappling with the very thing I had, <laughs> I had wrote about in the first book was. So I wrote a book about a pandemic before a pandemic, and then I wrote a book mm. about what happens after a pandemic during a real pandemic. So very, very yeah. true. That must have been so surreal because it's like, yeah, you're on tour, and that was, I guess, in the fall of 2019. Yeah. Um, and then obviously – Oh, actually, like in the summer. Summer of 2019, right? Okay. July, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. And so by December of that year, it was like everything was starting to kind of – yeah, out of China, and then you know you already you already mentioned it, but I kind of I kind of want to pick your brain about like how how you felt in terms of following up Wanderers with Wayward, but then also like how did your writing process kind of evolve during the pandemic while you're grappling with the crazy shit that's going on in the world right. around you, but then also the kind of like how that reflects on <laughs> how that reflects on the pandemic that you elaborated on in your book. Yeah, it was weird, like sitting down. Cause like I knew I had to write initially my, the first book out of the gate was going to be, um, and my, my, with Delray after, um, Wanderers and Book of Accents was going to be my evil apples orchard book. Mm-hmm. But because time, the way time was going and the way everything was happening, it was like, okay, we want, you know, we don't want the sequel to Wanderers to go too long out from the first right. book. So I focused on that first. And then, you know, I sat down to write it like not long after like March, 2020. So it was like, and at first I was like, it'll be great. I have a lot of free time on my hands. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, so what my kids here, I had, we have to marshal him through virtual schooling. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have anything. I just had nothing, nothing in the tank. There was no, uh, it wasn't even like sort of classic, normal, writer's block because it wasn't just like oh i had a story problem and i can't figure it out like i knew i knew everything i was like i actually have a pretty clear vision for the book um i just couldn't do it and it wasn't even like the kind of writer's block where it's depression masquerading as writer's block because like i felt Mm -hmm. i I mean it sounds weird but like during the early days of the pandemic i felt weirdly calm 
And I think it's because like my anxiety was taking a victory lap. Like it was like, <laughs> we did it. I told you, I told you this was coming and now here it is. There's nothing else to worry about. It's all here. Like, get it. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just nap in it. Like it was a weirdly not evil time. And that, you know, it's like you get to like spend extra time with our, you know, our kid who's not in school, but like family time was a big deal. And yeah. I mean, you sort of had a weird solidarity with like neighbors, like waving and your neighbor says you're bleaching broccoli or whatever it is you're doing. During the- <laughs> Horrible stranger. Such an odd time. Um, but I couldn't write. I just couldn't do it. So I was editing at that time because editing felt good. Editing felt like fixing something that was broken. And I think that was had a, a good vibe to it. But even when I kindly uh, finally got around to writing Wayward, it was like creeping through it. It was it was almost like like I had broken a leg and I had to do physical therapy to sort of get back to, you know, like a running speed because it was like mm-hmm. 100 words a day, 100 words a day and then you kind of get back to like okay, I'm going to write 250 and 500 words a day. And it was just a slow kind of ascent to that. And even when I did the weirdest situation through Wayward was that I would sit and write every day. And normally my process is that like I the story lives inside my head so like i leave the story for the day i go inside and my wife calls it like living in story brain or story world because like <laughs> mm-hmm. she'll be like you know waving her hand in front of me like were you thinking about the story again i was like sorry i was but I <laughs> <laughs> yeah could you like you know get the fire extinguisher because the kitchen's on fire it's like oh right, right, right. Sorry, so sorry back to reality dude. <laughs> but not in reality but wayward i would write my day's worth of work and i would leave and i would literally have no memory of having done it. I would come back the wow. next day and I would have to reread what I had what written. Because it was just like a blank. You're like entering state. a fugue state it's while you're writing. Total fugue state. So <laughs> by the end of the book, I'm like, did I just like Jack Torrance my way through this book? Is it just all work and no play for 800 pages? I don't know what I'm even sending to my editor at this point. So I literally wrote like a letter to her. Like, I have no idea if this is any good. This could be terrible. And I'm so yeah. sorry. And then I got one of the like the shortest edit letters, and she writes heck and chunker edit letters, and it was fairly <laughs> short. She's like, this is actually really good as it as it is. We just have some things to tighten up and change, but yeah. Uh, so it was a it was a weird experience. That's crazy. It's like you living through like Memento, but you wrote a book. Yes, yeah, like that's doing the wayward plotline. Who is Indian question mark? Like all this shit, like exactly. Fucking, yeah. I got some mushrooms on here. There oh, we there you go. go. We got a little. We got a little. Yeah, we got some remember. mushroom action going on. Yeah. <laughs> Mushrooms. Mushrooms. Remember the mushrooms. It's all about mushrooms. It's all about mushrooms. Eat all of them. What? Not the lesson. But, um, you know, like after, after everything everyone's dealt with, with the pandemic, I think, um, you know, it's really good to hear this. Like you cherished family time, even though you're kind of just going through this crazy (laughs) memento-esque writing experience. But, um, one of our mutual friends, uh, Kevin Hearn and oh, yeah. uh, Delilah Dawson. Kevin's actually the one that that put us in contact. So thank you, buddy. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think family and community are kind of these things that became really integral uh, to our everyday lives, and also they're really um, important parts of Wanderers and Wayward. Is this well, yeah. And, and Kevin and Delilah are like they were. Uh, we talked every. We still talk every Friday on Zoom, mm-hmm. like we were well, on Skype. But it was like we would. At that time, it would be like we would we were we were drinking. It was like yeah. two o'clock on Friday, and we're Se- like Let's separately. Drink. Um, yeah, yeah. The drinking has died back a little bit, but we still talk every week. Just to sort of, as, yeah. as long as we're all in, you know, in front of a, a computer and able to to chat, we we do. Yeah. And it's still uh, kind of a lifeline through all of the chaos. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's really important to, to cherish those friendships. And, and yes. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. It's like, as a writer, um, you know, for a lot of people who are entering into the writing space, it's like the community can seem a bit like unwieldy and, yeah. and disparate. There's like so many little pockets going on. There's self pub and there's traditional pub. Yeah. There's different genres and all this kind of stuff. Um, but for you in terms of like the friendships that you've developed and, and the people that you've met, how's, how does it important to you to, to have that within the writing community and, and how valuable can it be to any author to have friendships and community like that in a career path that is so very often isolating and, oh yeah, and just in, internalized inside your, your crazy story living inside head. your oh, literally yeah. own world <laughs> oh, exactly. hugely vital yeah hugely vital there's um uh, you know it's such a lifeline to just have people because like here's the thing first of all just on a basic level no one else gets it no one else gets not <laughs> writing but publishing in publishing. specific like, sometimes i will t- i'll t- tell my wife stories about publishing and i you know i can feel her just like i fugue out with story world she's starting to fugue out when i'm like sort of like <laughs> And then there's so the advance and then she's just like, I, she's like, I get it implicitly. I understand what you're telling me, but this feels sort of insane that this is your industry. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I need to talk to somebody. She's like, yeah, just go speak to other writers. Go talk to them <laughs> yeah. about this problem and they will understand. I'm like, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there was like a thread on Twitter some years ago where it, it was like a joke where. I mean, it wasn't a joke to this person, but he got on. He was like, other writers are actually your competition and you're trying to. Oh, my God. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Like the Internet kind of fell on him and he was he was smart enough to like not do the double down thing. He immediately did. Yeah. Eject. This is was a mistake. That that's, uh, that's like a good Twitter yeah, lesson. It's just like a good Twitter lesson. Be like, people, right? people dump on you. Just be like, Peace. be prepared to like be Homer Simpson <laughs> yeah. in the head. <laughs> yeah, like, there was a reel the other day on Instagram or something where a guy was trying to get rid of a hornet's nest and he just tried to bag it, but cut it in half. Instantly. Oh my God. And he didn't run. Like he was just like, what if I get more? And it's like, they're staying. <laughs> And I was like, those face closer. dig in on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, right. You're trying to like, bees. <laughs> Don't leave the lost Yeah, run away. Run away. So he did that. And like, you know, I, you know, I was responding sort of in joke about these like sort of hyper aggressive, you know, eat the hearts of your fellow writers. But then I I started to like, I was like, as a serious bomb to that, I I started to do like the the gentle writing advice threads. And it it was interesting because like sort of I had a writing book to write also during the pandemic. But mm-hmm. so what happened was Writer's Digest hired me to write a writing book and it was going to be about genre and the different bones of storytelling and genre. Um, and then the pandemic happened and they also went insolvent and I thought they went away. Uh, but then Penguin Random House bought them back. And um, so they contacted me and said, well, we still would like a writing book from you. And I was like, that's very cool. Uh, I hope you know I haven't been working on it because you haven't been a company. For <laughs> right. a little so uh, they were cool with that. So. I sat down to write the book and then um, I was, you know, sort of like, man, I don't just like talking about Twitter. I was like, I don't really want to make people mad about my opinions on genre. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I would try to not be aggressive about them, but like, I don't want to um, uh, pee in anybody's uh, genre cereal. So um, <laughs> I started to write an entirely different book that was a sort of a, a counter to the whole like writers, your competition, even in a way counter to some of my own advice, like the hard and the fuck up care bear stuff. <laughs> like I wanted to like talk about the other side of that. And it, it, it sort of made sense because I had such a weird experience trying to write wayward. 
even wanderers to some degree that I was like, I feel like I needed to talk about the, you know, how my own process changed so dramatically and how really yeah. there is no process and how there's, you have to be gentle on yourself while also trying to understand that a, a gentleness isn't always about like just not writing, but like, how do you, how are you kind to yourself while also still holding yourself accountable? I was trying to find mm-hmm. that balance. And so I, I just wrote a book called gentle writing advice and it was, it's all about that kind of thing. And, sort of tackling all of the writing advice chestnuts you hear that you have to write every day and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so I feel like there was a question in there and I was supposed to answer it and I have no idea if I did. No, so, but I think it's good. It's, yeah, I think, I think it's good to, to hear a little bit of Chuck's soft side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but it was, it was like, it was mostly about the community thing and, and, and being able to, yes. to find, um, I think, I think we all kind of live in our own individual insanity. Yeah. And so it's important to, cherish the valuable relationships that we develop Absolutely. like i have with like i have with mj like yeah she she's my therapy and <laughs> that is really important to me That's great. because yeah. kids are madness and you're sane <laughs> and yeah. so <laughs> yeah, yeah you need it you really need it i i and the thing is i think some writers even sort of different than the guy who views them as competition i think some writers also can view other writers as like rungs on a ladder like i i am no like this is networking and i'm like it's not networking i mean yeah it maybe doubles as that at a certain point but that's not the intention like you're going in to just try to find compatriots <laughs> just like yes. with you and you know in your in your generation but then also who have been publishing for a long time and then as you get a little you know you try to like leave the the light on and a ladder out for the people who are still coming up sort of behind you and um i think in that way the sort of general bookish ecosystem is helped by that sense of community and actual friendship. I mean, writers are some of the nicest people, which the horror writers people. doubly so. Horror yeah. writers are lovely. They're weirdly <laughs> just sweet, kind people. You'd be like, so you're monsters, right? And you're like, they're not. They get it all out on the page. <laughs> I yeah, was just going to yeah. say, yeah, they leave all of that. <laughs> there. The book is my like monstrous vomit. There <laughs> just, you go. Yeah. It's like a Dorian Gray situation. It yeah. Like has the, <laughs> yeah. It has the evil, so I don't. <laughs> it's more evil, and I get nicer. I love that. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> In an attic somewhere. In an attic, yeah. That's gentle Chuck, just like the attic. gentle Chuck. Gentle Chuck. Yes, I love it. So we talked a little bit about your your writing advice books. Um, so I'm just curious if you have learned yourself any lessons through writing the books to teach others, if that makes sense, like have those books taught you anything? Um, I am sure they do because even as I'm writing them, like I, like my writing advice, the blog was never supposed to be me telling people how to do things. Never prescriptive. Always me yelling at me about (laughs) And like that's like it started off with like a, a static HTML page, no WordPress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know I didn't have metrics. I didn't know anything. I was like blogging into the void. <laughs> you know, this is over 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, when I find like a friend of mine in the games industry, Will Hindmarch told me, he's like, why don't you do WordPress so you can like have a real thing going on? Like instead of this, whatever you're doing. Not just this ghetto little. Yeah. And I, <laughs> HTML like, well, my, my, you know, coded nothing page. And I was like, okay, sure. So I did it. And then like, it was like flipping on the lights in a room and finding out you haven't been alone. It's comforting and terrifying. <laughs> people imagine, like, oh no. 
Oh shit, Kevin and Delilah are here. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> risking. How did they get here? So um, that was weird. So it was always a case of I started off just sort of being frustrated with my own journey and with publishing and with self-publishing and everything that goes on through that, all the conversations. So it was always a, a way for me to sort of voice those those conversations for me. And in that process, I was always trying to learn even as I kind of poked through the stuff. Yeah, I love that. That totally makes sense. And on this topic of writing advice, to close out, we ask this to, to every guest. If you can give listeners and viewers, A, a good bit of a uh, good soundbite bit of writing advice, and oh, yeah. B, I know you're going to kill this question. <laughs> Tell us a weird or random fact that you find to be utterly fascinating. And it can be oh. as disgusting or as weird that as That one is always a trap, though, because people are always like, oh, my God, every fact I've ever thought of just left my brain. So, Well, uh, yeah, and also, like, okay. I know so many because I'm a writer. They're always right. weird. <laughs> Uh, well, the sound bite is just finish your shit. I always say that, like, <laughs> it's so simple and so basic and obvious, but at the same time, like, I know so many writers who are like, I'm a writer, but then they like, you know, me with the blackbirds, like you get a certain way through, but then you don't finish it. And mm-hmm. obviously the end of a story is, is what completes a story. So not only do you have to learn that part, but if you don't practice finishing, you don't get that cool dopamine hit of finishing a story. <laughs> Right. I think gives you like the more the, the meth juice to be like, I got to write more stories. I got to finish my shit. So, <laughs> uh, so that's important. And then weird facts. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously the wombat's poop and cube thing. That's pretty fascinating. You know, I know this is maybe one of those facts that has some very light quotes around the word fact, but the fact that there's, they're <laughs> suggesting that trees communicate with each other via mycelial networks yes through um, mycorrhizal communication yeah, how cool is that that yeah. man that's just a neat like that you know we're neat. all working together and they're chatting with each other and i feel bummed that like maybe people aren't part of that like we should be like every day like sticking <laughs> your hand in the dirt for just a little hobby like i'm gonna go yeah. talk to bob down the street bob the tree yeah, bob exactly. bob the the maple bob the maple yeah how yeah. <laughs> the but the coolest thing about the coolest thing about that is not only do they communicate you just like Lit. this is like whenever anyone mentions excel spreadsheets or like color coding to mj she lights up anyone mentions <laughs> mushrooms and i go for fucking ecstatic um <laughs> the coolest thing is that not only they communicate with each other but they also exchange nutrients so it's like the the mycelium fuels the tree with certain micronutrients that it wouldn't otherwise be able to get and the tree in turn provides the mycelium with uh the necessary uh carbon dioxide as like a carbon sink in order yep. to feed them. Cause they're the same as us. They breathe in, uh, oxygen and, um, put out, uh, uh, carbon dioxide. So actually, no, they don't give carbon dioxide to the mycelium. They give oxygen. <laughs> yeah. I, I love cool. this though. Yeah. This mycelium discussion will lead us really well into part two of our discussion yeah. with Chuck, yeah. right? Yeah. This is great. Yeah. This was perfect. Setting it up. Yeah. I was your Scotty Pippen today to your Michael Jordan. Yeah, so there you we go. got this down. All right. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Yeah. Uh, if you could let folks know where they can find you on social media. Oh, yeah. Um, if, if social media still exists by the time um, you're chatting with me, um, I'm definitely <laughs> on Twitter at Chuck Wending. And I, it's a hell realm and it's uh, collapsing daily. Uh, but generally, you can find me at <laughs> my blog, TerribleMinds.com. Um, that is the safest, most stablest place. I never thought I'd say that about blogs, but here we are. Yeah. Um, they're back, baby. Blogs are back. Blogs are back. Yeah. And it is not HTML anymore. So go no, check. No, it's right. Very fancy. Yeah. 
<laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, you can also follow SFF Addicts on Instagram or Twitter at SFF Addicts Pod. And you can follow me at Adrian M. Gibson. MJ, what about you? Um, you can find me across all the big socials. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at MJ Coon Books, all one word. Perfect. So that's it for this episode. Stay tuned next week for part two with Chuck. As MJ teased, he's going to be doing a mini masterclass on post-apocalyptic fiction, which I'm very, very excited about. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts.